Now, is Alpha Flight an X-Men book? That's a, a question I posed on Twitter way back on November 5th, 2019, back when I thought this show was going to come out in December of 2019. It did not. Uh, the question I asked was simple. Do you consider Alpha Flight to be part of the X-Men family of titles? Because when you're putting together a program like this, uh, you know, from Claremont to Claremont, we're looking at like the full scope of the X-Men books, the X-Men family of titles while Chris Claremont was gone or on his way out at this point. Uh, and when you do something like that, you could either go too short or you go way, way, way too far. Uh, we could have just done the main two X-Men books or we could have done everything. We could have done every Wolverine appearance, every time Beast shows up hanging out with Wonder Man for a panel. We could have done deep dives on all of those books. We're still going to talk about those books, but we're not going to go quite as deep uh, as we would a main X book here or a part of the X-Men family of titles. So there I go. I go on Twitter and I ask, do you guys consider Alpha Flight to be part of the X-Men family of titles? Personally, I do. And uh, even though I didn't read it growing up, I did consider it an ancillary part of the X-Men family of books. And I do have some responses here I want to get into before we get into the book. Our buddy Joe Crawford, who you heard talk about Wolverine, says, uh, you better believe they're part of the X-Family. Jesse DeJong says, yeah, they got their start in an X-Book, and a handful of their roster ended up on an X-Team, like Wolverine, Aurora, Northstar, Madison Jeffries, and Wildchild. I also consider Excalibur and Big Hero 6 X-Titles. And I think he might be the only one besides me who thinks Big Hero 6 is an X-Men book. Uh, Warlock, Warlock Thanos podcast, that's uh, Al, he says, they are related, somewhat distant, but they do hang out during reunions. Tony Schiapone said, Alpha Flight is certainly in the X-Family. Their connection to Wolverine in the main X-Men book goes without saying, and most of their members were mutants to an extent. Mike Rockatansky, easy for me to say, says, I don't necessarily consider them a full X-Team, but they have this odd niche quality like Excalibur later inherited of being an X-Men legacy book, but going way afield of that original concept. BoldOutlaw.com says, some of us consider the X-Men to be a minor branch of the great Alpha Flight family. I wouldn't go that far, as Wolverine and Northstar have been known to slum around with them. Steve Meyer says, sometimes I do, other times I set them off on their own. AlphaFlight.net says, due to their first appearance, yup. Nick adds to that, not to mention Northstar and Wolverine's extensive involvement with both. John Aston says, yeah, but like a second cousin. Matt Lauer says Alpha Flight is the facts of life to X-Men's different strokes, which might be the best one out of the bunch here. Uh, and uh, oddly enough, this might be like the most engagement I've ever got on a Twitter post all about Alpha Flight. Go figure there. But uh, we did decide that we will include a full, deep look into each issue of Alpha Flight for this series of podcasts. And the first one we've got is Alpha Flight issue 101, which came out, of course, uh, cover dated October 1991. And coming along with me uh, for this trip is my good pal, Sean Ross. How you doing, Sean? I'm good, man. How are you? Oh, you know me. I'm hanging in there. Um, before we get into the book, I do want to ask, because I'm fairly certain your uh, introduction to Alpha Flight and my introduction to Alpha Flight are very different. I, I think you have a much deeper appreciation for this franchise, for this property than I do. So I'd love to hear how you were introduced to Alpha Flight, and uh, your life and times with this property. Yeah, I, that's a really nice way of saying, why the heck did you agree to do this with me? <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was really excited. First of all, I'm glad to be on the show. Uh, I, yeah, you know, I, you and I have talked. I love your shows, and uh, I'm excited we're finally recording together, especially because, you know, we live 
what probably 18 minutes away from each other (laughs) and so um and so alpha flight is it's a book that is in my dna i i go all the way back to the spinner rack with alpha flight and i remember i I was a kid i lived in oregon at the time and oregon has a a convenience store called plaid pantry it's basically their 7-eleven and i remember going into plaid pantry looking at the spinner rack and, and that's where i was getting comics and and alpha flight number 12 jumps out at me and, and any of you who are alpha flight fans know that that's a seminal issue in this in this book and i bought it because it has this great pink cover this vibrant pink pink cover and it's got all the members of alpha flight in targets and crosshairs and it says one of these people will die and i'm like oh well yeah i'm in like i want to <laughs> see who's gonna die even though i don't know who any of these people are so <laughs> i take alpha flight 12 home and i see the death of james mcdonald hudson of, of guardian who is there captain america is like if you had a, a if Vegas had odds on who was going to die in Alpha Flight 12, he would have been the lowest odds. There's no For way sure. they're killing their main character, but they kill their main character, which I didn't know at the time was totally indicative of this book because John Byrne, who had co-created Alpha Flight with Chris Claremont and the X-Men, he never intended for them to have their own series. No. Like, <laughs> he, he literally they – they were a one-off. It, Chris Claremont said, hey, you're Canadian. Why don't you create a Canadian super team to fight the X-Men and just basically like pair their powers up? You know, Shaman can control weather a bit, and so he'll go against Storm, and Snowbird can turn into a Wolverine, so she'll go against Wolverine. You know, and that was kind of all the thought he put into it. But they were so popular because that run of X-Men is so popular that you know Marvel kept getting just bombarded with requests, and finally Jim Shooter went to Burn. He gave him I think four years, mm-hmm. and he went to Burn, and he's like, dude. All right, that's it. We're doing an Alpha Flight book. There's too much money here. People are clamoring for it. For sure. And if you're not doing it, somebody else will, and this is it. So Byrne was like, well, okay, if anybody's going to do a Canadian team, it's going to be me. Plus, there's a lot of money to be made. So, you know, Byrne's Absolutely. a dumb man. Absolutely. And he does this book, and he's so disinterested in this book that he <laughs> – and this is true. I've just read – I've read interviews with him. He has no idea what to do with this team. He's so disinterested in this concept that he instead does the weirdest – team book in maybe the history of comics which i think is part of why people love it so much and and the pinnacle of that weirdness is alpha flight 12 where he kills sure. his main character and I, I was just i was in from that point so you know i was subject to the winds of the spinner rack so i would kind of piecemeal issues here and there though i did manage to get a pretty coherent run of the rest of burns issues mm-hmm. and then i found a, a book slash comic book store not too long later, and I have, you know, I, I was able to get the Mantlo, Magnola, and you know, and, and Jim Lee, and all that stuff going sure. forward. So this is a book I stuck with, even though it had very, very different levels of quality over the years. I mean, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I think like most people, Burn is the pinnacle for me. Sure. Though I have a, a very weird affection for the James James Hudnall Chris um, uh, or Calamy run. Oh, which James is, Calamy, yeah. James Calamy, sorry. Oh, yeah, you know him from Strike Force Moratory. Um, I I definitely have a weird affection for that run that most people don't, the whole Dream mm-hmm. Queen saga. And so I just I stuck with this book for all the way through, actually. And and it's one of the the first books I bought where I got in super early and stayed the whole way through. It's like one of the few books I could say I had a whole complete collection of mm-hmm. at a rather young age, you know, where now old and, and more discretionary income i've been wasting my daughter's college fund on comics there and, you go <laughs> so yeah i've got more complete runs but so yeah that that was my hook for me that was that was really what grabbed me 
And, you know, there's all these great moments in Alpha Flight history and all these great issues. And then you come along and ask me to cover Alpha Flight 101. So, yeah, so awesome. <laughs> yes, thanks. I don't know what I did to you, but cool. <laughs> we're, we're, hitting, we're hitting the high point now. Yeah. Here with 101. It's, <laughs> it's definitely an issue that was written and drawn. Um, it what was. About you? It, it, it appeared on paper. Uh, <laughs> How did you discover Alpha Flight? Sounds like we had some different experience. We did. We did indeed. My first, and it's funny, uh, my my start in comics, it wasn't really in the superhero world here. I started with ElfQuest, came into Marvel after that, and I learned most of my, you know, if I would have grown up like five or six years earlier, I could have gotten the official handbooks as they were coming out. And I mm-hmm. could have learned about the, uh, the characters and, and the, the, the rivalries and, and the, the, you know, the, the arc enemies and all that good stuff. But, uh, I didn't grow up at that time. I uh, started collecting in the early nineties when they were putting out trading cards. And so I learned about basically everything in the Marvel universe via their, you know, their skybox marvel universe trading cards Mm -hmm. and that's where i learned what alpha flight was i saw alpha flight on cards and uh didn't know they had any kind of affiliation with x-men i didn't you know i i came into the x-men into volume two so i didn't know a lot i didn't know cyclops had a son i I didn't know (laughs) i didn't know yeah exactly (laughs) i didn't know gene gray had died i didn't know beast went unfurry for a little bit i didn't know beast started unfurry i didn't know wolverine wasn't part of the original team i was very very young in my fandom and uh so alpha flight Mm. like what's alpha flight i had no idea uh i met alpha flight in the books eventually uh i believe in the infinity war which i think they showed up for half a cup of coffee you didn't really Mm -hmm. see them too much um but I, i actually got to see them on panel but I never thought much of them. I uh, really, I started to learn more and more, and I knew that there was a tie to the X Men. I knew that they, I knew that their first appearance was in the X Men because the first appearance was on the trading card. Um, when I finally started reading Alpha Flight was with Volume Two, the Steven Siegel run. Oh wow! Which yeah, that's during, a weird place to start. Absolutely, and I loved it. Uh, <laughs> it was during uh, I think it was Heroes Reborn. Because mm-hmm. uh, that's when they launched a bunch of kind of niche titles when they when they kicked, you know, Cap and the Avengers and Iron Man and uh, and whatever the Fantastic Four over to the to the uh, Heroes Reborn universe and let Lie Felden Lee do their thing. Uh, that's when we started getting books like Quicksilver getting an mm-hmm. ongoing and Alpha Flight and Maverick Heroes and Deadpool. For Hire. Yeah. yeah, Heroes for Hire. And uh, that's when I started reading Alpha Flight because. My fandom is so stupid that I went <laughs> I went to an X-Men website. I think it was like xfan.com or xfan.biz.ru.net or whatever you want to call it. And I go over there and they have um, – they're putting the solicits for the upcoming X-Men, X-Men books and they include Alpha Flight. And I'm like, oh, okay. Well, maybe there's a – maybe there's a, you know, team up. Maybe there's a cameo. But then every month it's like – Alpha Flight, Alpha Flight, Alpha Flight, showing up every month in these solicits on an X-Men website and me being an all or nothing kind of guy. I'm like, well, I got to figure out what this is. And so I go into this Siegel run, which is so weird. Oh, my God. So, so much fun. The whole thing is like (laughs) a conspiracy story. Uh It's 20 issues of of Department H conspiracy. And uh, there's like a new breed of alpha alphans where like they all have links to like X-Men villains and it's just so weird. And that's where I kind of fell in love with the, uh, 
with the entire concept. I think there was even like like a clone of Guardian, and there was a there was a Sasquatch on the team, but they found out it was actually a Sasquatch. It wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't. <laughs> It wasn't the Dr. What's-His-Face. It was actually a Sasquatch. I forgot about that. He just walked right off the set of The Six Million Dollar Man and yes. right into that issue of Alpha Flight. <laughs> and it, it was just so weird. And uh, from there, Alpha Flight is, you know, this is around the turn of the century where the, the cheapo bins, the 50-cent bins weren't mm-hmm. quite as plentiful as they are now. But when you did find them, they were full of Alpha Flight. Alpha Flight yeah. really never – unless you, it, we're talking about those like – the one issue that we'll be discussing in like five episodes, there's that book <laughs> that that was yeah. kind of pricey. And then like the early Jim Lee stuff, that stuff would be pricey, but everything else they threw in the quarter bin. I think I got the first, the first 12 in a quarter bin. Oh yeah. And because they were, they, they're just everywhere, but that's where I began really, really becoming a fan of alpha flight. And, uh, I have read, I believe I've read the entire run. Um, and it's funny because I'll compare the trajectory of quality of Alpha Flight with uh, New Teen Titans. Yep. Because it starts out so strong, mm-hmm. it dips, it kind of comes back, and then it goes in the toilet. And uh, just yeah. so much symmetry between the two runs here. But uh, but yeah, that's that's how I discovered it. So we are coming at this from a very different sides. <laughs> <laughs> but I think we'll both agree on the quality of uh, of this this particular issue. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think there'll be much disagreement on that. <laughs> you want to kick us off with our creative team. Sure. So Alpha Flight 101 uh, was brought to us by writer Fabian Nicieza, penciler Tom Morgan. It's inked by Chris Ivey, lettered by Jenis Chang, colored by Bob Sharon, editor is Bobby Chase, editor-in-chief at this point is Tom DeFalco, and it is a whopping dollar and 50 cents. Wild. That's that. That's one of the things where I couldn't read it because I was only reading the dollar twenty five books at this point. So well, you, you got to draw a line in the sand somewhere. Got to draw a line. I mean, <laughs> if they if if school lunch went up another quarter, I'd have been able to do this, but it didn't. So I. <laughs> now this issue starts with of all people Hercules. We have Hercules from the Avengers. He's there and he's he's just delivering a wallop of a punch right into Sasquatch's face, which uh, sends him flying out of the panel here. Uh, we've got some other Avengers present, including She-Hulk and Quasar, and they question the logic of being so aggressive. Uh, Hercules, he's like, I'm just having a good time. You know, don't mess with my good time. I'm just hanging out. Sasquatch does not seem to share that kind of opinion, and so he lunges at the Olympian. Quasar gets involved. He separates them with uh, some sort of like uh, whatever his solid light things from his bracelets. And he, he parts Sasquatch and Hercules, uh, hoping that cooler heads might prevail. And uh, ultimately, they do. I don't remember what brought us here. Do you perhaps remember? I do, yeah. Okay, so as, as part of preparation for the show, and, and again, it's a wonder that I'm still talking to you after this. <laughs> uh, as part of preparation for the show, I was like, all right, why are the Avengers here? I don't remember this storyline. Like, what's going on? So... We are at the tail end. This is the basically the epilogue, the, the coda, to the last seven issues of Alpha Flight. It's Nicieza. When he came on, he came on with Michael Bear as penciler. And I, I love Michael Bear. He's a, he's a dark style, um, okay. very dark style. But it's a style I've always really enjoyed. And when they came on, James McDonald Hudson returned. Guardian returned. Yes. And it kind of lazily, his origin, his return was the fake return story that burn used in alpha flight like 22 through 26 
when he made it seem when when Omega Flight impersonated Guardian and made it seem like he was back to life. And they just used the same story. They're like, actually, that story was true. The the machine that fooled you into thinking that Guardian was back actually knew the true story and just used it. And I was like, well, uh, oh, okay. <laughs> like, I, I guess that's one way to do it. So he's back, and they're kind of dealing with the mystery of that. And then this group of of interplanetary business people called the Consortium come, and they're going to raid the Earth of its of its materials and its minerals. But at the same time, the planet of like squid brain people who had rescued Guardian when he had teleported out from Alpha Flight 12, we actually saw him burn and we saw we literally saw his body disintegrate on no uncertain terms. But yeah. now that that blast was a teleportation blast and it took him to Jupiter and these creatures who helped heal him and send him back to Earth, their home planets being, you know, attacked, quote unquote, by Galactus who's coming to consume it. So they take half of the Avengers and half of Alpha Flight and they pull them to their planet to stop Galactus. And the rest of the team is left on Earth to stop this like full scale alien invasion. Mm -hmm. And yes, this is all as weird as it sounds. And eventually issue 100. So the issue before this, it all resolves in the team that's fighting Galactus eventually. And, and, you know, different power levels i guess i I don't know they 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 rolled a 20 several times or something Mm -hmm. or used a lot of hero points and they're able to kind of put a dent in galactus for a moment and they mention we don't have time for this the consortium's invading earth and galactus goes the consortium their ship is powered by a small planet i could eat that instead and so they kill two birds with one stone there you go yeah it's it's an efficient solution they take galactus back to earth he pops the planet in his mouth out of their ship the consortium is defeated and goes away. And this is like the that, and the big moment there is Guardian James McDonald Hudson once again sacrifices his life to save the planet this time. And he's dead, dead this time. This time we mean it. You know, he's <laughs> never coming back. Never coming back. Never, and ever, ever. Never. We'll never see him again. <laughs> and so this is the, the moment right after. So they've defeated the consortium. They've rebuffed Galactus. And now they're all kind of sitting around a, a war-torn Toronto. And instead of helping clean and save civilians, the two big guys are just punching each other into wreckage. So, you know, like good on do. them. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, from here, we shift scenes to Greenwich Village, where uh, North Star, North Star's mullet. Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, Cersei and Vision are paying a visit to Doctor Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum in hopes that he might be able to assist in tracking down Jean-Paul's sister Aurora, plus some other missing Alphans. Uh, we got Wang reading, greeting them at the door, and he allows them entry. Do you remember, I, I guess they just vanished off that, that battlefield or, or something. Yeah, what... yeah, so they're, they they disappear. There's a couple uh, Alphans who disappear suddenly, which is going to set up a storyline to come. Very cool. Now, Doctor Strange, he appears and. The way Doctor Strange is drawn in this oh, comic book, um, he's making a lot of uh, potty faces. Okay, thank you. Yeah. I have in my notes, I have it called, it's constipation face. <laughs> like, yes, yes. It's uh, it's very, very strange here. Because this first one, it looks like he just had an accident. But the rest of them, he is constipated the whole it, rest of the issue. Seriously, it, that, that first, first two panels with him, I, I almost want to pull Wong aside and be like, hey, a little less dairy in Doc's diet. Like, <laughs> right. we got to. We got to watch out. He's getting up in age because clearly having some trouble. <laughs> and I and I don't know that maybe he's just mystified by North Star's mullet. I don't know. But <laughs> why is he so shocked to see other heroes? I mean, heroes must knock on Doctor Strange's door 
like all the time. Yeah. But he is like beside himself here, like, whoa. But he doesn't there's there's not a single exclamation point in his in his dialogue. Yeah. He just looks like he's shouting, but he's saying, How may I be of assistance? That's all he's saying. Yeah. I don't know. The art and the dialogue they not only don't do they not line up. <laughs> I mean uh, Morgan and and I maybe this is as good a time as any. Sure. Tom Morgan was a no fly zone for me in the nineties. <laughs> okay. Like, Basically, if he was added to a book, it meant the book was getting canceled, yes. and that, and that, or or it was an or it was annual, an afterthought, yeah, yeah, that they rushed together or something. And he was always a, and and we're talking an era of weak art because the dominant artists at the time all fled to Image, mm-hmm. so Marvel didn't exactly have a great, you know, bullpen stable. of artists. Yeah. yeah, they didn't have a great stable, and even amongst that. Tom Morgan was, and I, I feel bad disparaging him. I know there are probably people who like him, but for me, he was, he epitomizes kind of a not, not very effective nineties art. Everybody's got a mullet. Yeah. Everybody's got weird poses. The art doesn't take into consideration what's happening in the story. So the storytelling is always really wonky, but yeah, this is, uh, this is in particular one of the more egregious, uh, issues really highlighting most of his faults, and you're not joking about North Star's mullet. North Star's mullet, like oh it needs boy. its own four issue miniseries. Like it is, yeah, yeah, it is, it is in its prime, and it's, yeah, and it changes color. Whatever, it does. every other panel, it's black, it's white, it's black and white. <laughs> so there's true. just so much going on here that that's inconsistent with the art that it. Look, it's not a great issue to begin with. I mean, no. it's not like Nicieza wrote, you know, Watchmen or something, <laughs> but. The art's definitely not helping it out. So yeah, I, what about you? What are your What are your thoughts on Tom Morgan? I, uh, you know, I, I think I would just echo everything you said here. There's, I, I think I gotta assume that this is during the time where it's like they see that the the, the Lee Fields out there are making all the money and getting all the yeah. the cherry gigs, and it's like I could do a little bit of that, but not not really understanding that. I, I think, you know, we enlightened people in the 2020s now might look at Rob Liefeld's work and be like, nah, it's garbage. But you got to remember back in 1990, there was a lot of explosiveness and excitement to it. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's you know, not the greatest thing to look at uh, now, but I still have a very strong affinity for it. A very, it might be 100% nostalgia. I don't know. But there is a charm to it. That when somebody else tries to evoke a leaf a leaf field, life field type of a feel, the charm isn't there. Yeah. It, everything feels very try hard. The, the the artist that jumps out at me is the is like early Ian Churchill. Oh, who yeah. was who was like really really deep into the the life field, uh, gritted teeth and all the lines on the face. It, it looked, I mean, you if you looked at it quick, it looked like Liefeld's work, but it didn't have that Liefeldian charm that yeah. comes with actual Liefeld work. And this kind of feels like not exactly Liefeld, but there's so many. Uh, I'm looking at North Star's face now, and there are several dozen lines on it. Yes. <laughs> and he's not even emoting. He's just there. <laughs> <laughs> there's all these lines on his face. It's really, really rough here, um, and it's it's only gonna get better. Uh. Yeah, yeah. And well, you know what? It, I I kept looking at it, and it reminds me of like my middle school friend showed me his notebook at lunch art. Like this is like yeah. like 
figures drawn in the like the margins of somebody's homework assignment. I mean, that, that honestly, yeah, it is. And that's the and again, I don't want to disparage him because I have actually read issues with Tom Morgan later in his career where he had a really strong inker where it was he was more serviceable. But this is just some of the I mean, this is some of the worst art probably to it's, ever make a Marvel comic. Yeah. It, and again, it's like uh, he might he might be just trying to change his style to be more with the times, which mm-hmm. Might not have been the best thing for him to do. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, clearly, uh, you know, not to backpedal everything I've said here, he, he does have talent. But yeah, this of course. is yeah. ugly. <laughs> this is yes. just very ugly art. Um, I, I mean, we, we already mentioned here, uh, like, Doctor Strange looks like like he needs a change of pants at this point. He is just <laughs> beside himself here. Uh, North Star is like, hey, this is what's going on. Aurora and some of our pals vanished. And uh, he'd really like some help in finding where she might have gone and and we we turn the page here or, or i think it might even be the bottom of the same page dr strange contorts his body mm-hmm. in such a way where he's like got like these like these auras around his fists but it looks like uh like if you were to take if you were to take a hand made out of like fritos right <laughs> and you you wrap your real hand around it and you crush it uh that's yeah. what his hands look like here. He looks like he is in so much pain. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking here. There are zero exclamation points in his dialogue. So mm-hmm. he is not screaming, but he looks like he is. He looks like he's beside himself in pain here. He's it, it's very, very unpleasant to look at here. But he he, here, he, uh, he zaps the team or the, the, the team that we have here over to the interdimensional crossroads of time. Which makes it makes me remember that Sovereign Seven series, if you remember uh-huh. that. Yes. It's like where they hang out at like that that the bar or the diner at the uh, at the crossroads yeah. of time where Darkseid might come in and ask for a cup of coffee every once in a while. And that, by the way, that's literally the only thing I remember from that series. <laughs> Same here. Same here. Yeah, I I do remember I remember that, and I remember uh, the Superman appearance where Lois Lane tells. Whatever the girl, whatever the girl who leads Sovereign Seven, she tells her to strike a pose, which made me want to vomit because uh, I'm picturing a hundred year old Chris Claremont typing strike a pose into his word processor. Yeah. And (laughs) it had pretty art. It had pretty art. It was what, uh, Caldwell? Uh, No, Gregory Wright. Oh, yeah, because it was Dwayne Turner was there and. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, there was a a few good artists on that. Yeah, that was that was uh, definitely the high point of that book. Um, now, Doctor Strange, he, he starts floating. You know, he does his little ohm sort of thing. <laughs> and he allows the eye of Agamotto to uh, pierce the dimensional veil in order to locate that missing Borbier. Is that how we say that, Borbier? So uh, I used to say – this is one of those words I learned as a kid, right? Mm-hmm. And so I would say uh, Boobauer is how I pronounce it, which is, is wrong. Okay. Is wrong. No, 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 no. It's wrong. I learned it when I was like seven, and that's okay. how I pronounced it. <laughs> But I was on an episode of Alpha Pod Flight, uh, and the host, who's from England and and so therefore has closer contact to France and speaks French, he like literally snorted when I pronounced it that way. And I go, uh, Gareth, what, is that wrong? And he goes, it's Boubier. It's French. And I go, okay. And I go, I, just, I guess I didn't think it was because it sounds like boobies. And I go, yes, I didn't think it was Boubier. I go, okay, so Boubier is better than Barbouwer or however I was saying it. So yeah, so I've been told yeah. it's Boubier. I, was, I, I, I think I had a problem with the booby aspect of it, too. So I say Bobier. So yeah. Bobier will work. And that's what we'll call <laughs> them from this point on. Uh, we shift scenes here 
And we're going to get right back on the yard here. Uh, we're in a cemetery in Ottawa where uh, Puck and uh, and Heather Hudson, they're visiting the comically oversized grave marker of James Hudson. It looks like if you look at this panel here, it almost looks like Puck is standing on the end of a football field mm-hmm. compared to the size of this uh, this grave marker here. It is uh, it's very large. Yeah. Um, yeah. And all it does is says his name on it. Yeah, there's not a message. There's nope. no years. No date. No. Yeah. <laughs> Just grotesquely large slab of stone. Yeah. <laughs> and as much like one of the things that one of the niceties or the charms that have that that modern current year comics have lost is kind of the roughness in like if you get like any book from the 80s and there's like a picture of a newspaper in it, it's all handwritten, you know, mm-hmm. where nowadays it's like. It's all polished. It looks like a real newspaper, and it's just superimposed into the panel. Where this kind of goes into my wheelhouse in the like the messiness department, but it just looks bad. Well, and it's it and and I'm not gonna nitpick to this level, but like the opening page of this issue is is them still standing in the wreckage of the recent battle. Yeah. So somehow this tombstone was commissioned, <laughs> built, and he was buried in the like in seven the minutes in the seven minutes since he died i, I mean it, well and, you know and you could argue that this is just his original grave that they just never cleaned it up and i'll allow that but sure. like it is bizarre yeah it is and and it just yeah i don't know anything else to say it's it's like you said it's comically large like Jeez. it is and the two of them standing there now one thing i will pay a compliment to okay is Morgan is definitely trying to evoke, and, and the colorist as well, um, Bob Sharon, they're trying to evoke Alpha Flight 13, which okay. is the the funeral issue. So after Guardian dies, it's a pretty famous issue. Burn, this is Burn in his weird silent phase. Mm-hmm. And the first like 14 pages of that issue are the silent funeral of James McDonald Hudson. And then it turns out to be a bad dream and Wolverine's there and all this stuff. But anyway, th- this actually looks like that scene. Everybody's in okay. black. Heather's in black. They're standing in front of a, gr- a slab, not quite this large, but they're standing <laughs> in front of a grave and, and Puck is next to her mourning. So I, I was like, okay, cool. Like this oh, is so a nice a little, back. yeah, Good. it's a nice little Easter egg. So I want to at least give them credit for that because everything else in the image just falls apart. <laughs> it's pretty rough. <laughs> Heather uh, shares her feelings with Puck uh, and how this time she feels like losing Mac might be a little bit different than the last time because, you know, this time it's, there's no body to bury and it just feels very, very different to her. It's uh, I guess maybe less closure. I don't know. Um, and also, you know, didn't really get the answers of him being back and all mm-hmm. that kind of weird stuff here. Uh, now the pair are met by Kerry Patrick and Jeremy Clark. They're, they're either from the Canadian government or from department H or both. I don't know. Um, they express their condolences and they assure Heather that from this point on the Canadian government has alpha flights back. I wasn't aware there was any kind of a schism um, between Alpha Flight and the Canadian government. I always thought that they were uh, they worked in tandem is what I thought. Um, so maybe there was just a little hiccup in in the relationship. I, I don't know if you could speak to that. Yeah, no, it's it's actually since day one. So okay, they are sponsored by Department H. They're sponsored by the Canadian government when they first appear in X Men, mm-hmm. and then in their next appearance, it's like X Men. I don't know, maybe 143, 144. It's it's mm-hmm. Nightcrawler and Wolverine go up north, and they with Snowbird and a couple other Alphans they fight Wendigo, and it, th- those issues end with Department H cutting Alpha Flight's funding. Gotcha. And that gotcha. was supposed to lead directly into Alpha Flight One in like the mm-hmm. next year, but Burn holds off for four years. <laughs> so, so by the time we get Alpha Flight One, 
it is actually four years earlier. He deals with the whole Department H cutting them loose thing, and then he fast forwards for it's the weirdest. If you go back and read Alpha Flight one and two, mm-hmm. it is bizarre. The the time jump is just it just happens, and you're like, oh wait, what? Like this is that <laughs> wait four years. So anyway, throughout the whole of the series, and this is actually unfortunately something that continues even till like their appearances today. Mm-hmm. There's always conflict with Department H and the government, okay. and either Department H is super patriotic supporting them or they're a weird conspiracy like in the Steven Siegel series or they're cutting them loose. So yeah, this is actually, this is nothing new Bar for the course. Yes. <laughs> now, now speaking of alpha flight and department H, we now pop over to Toronto in order to check in on some of the rest of the team here. Uh, here we have Madison Jeffries preparing diamond Lil for a procedure involving some weird alien laser that might just be able to penetrate her diamond hard skin in order to discern whether or not she has cancer. Now, Lil's a bit freaked out, but trusts enough in box that she'll undergo the deal. And it turns out that this laser is, in fact, strong enough to uh, to penetrate her skin. Was was this a uh, a long lasting storyline or is this is this relatively quickly resolved? The the I mean, this is actually my favorite part in the book. Same here. Um, Same yeah, here. it's the most human. It's it's the for it's sure the realest moment by far. Um, and it's only been a, it's been a short storyline where she felt a lump in her breast. Okay. And, you know, and it was interesting. One, you just don't get a lot of cancer in comic no. books. No. And then two, it presents that very interesting problem of like what happens when an invulnerable character mm-hmm. has some sort of natural, normal, you know, something like cancer where they need procedures that they would need for it are not necessarily as possible. Um, and I, I especially loved this this couple pages and then the end of the book. Yeah. Because I'm actually a really big fan of Madison Jeffries and Diamond Lil as a couple. I He and Heather Hudson were involved after Mac's death, and that was fine. But when James Hudnall came in on the book, um, he and, and Calamy, when they were the, the creative team, they actually have Heather and Mac. They have Alpha Flight kind of broken up for a while, and Heather and, and Diamond Lil – or Heather and Mac kind of grow apart and, and Diamond Lil and, and Mac – or um, sorry, I keep saying Mac <laughs> – um, and Madison – they have a, a pre-existing relationship from way back in the day when they were in Gamma Flight. So they kind of okay. come together again. And there's a whole love triangle. Like, will Madison gotcha. leave Diamond Lil for Heather? Or will he not? And then Mac shows back up. And that those soap opera pieces are always, you know, I mean, what are comic books if not soap operas for, for, for adults? Sure. I love those moments. So this was my favorite part. And I, I like them as a couple. So I, I liked that. That attention was paid to that again. Yeah, because I don't know a whole heck of a lot about Diamond Lil. I, I feel like... Uh... There, there are some Alpha Flight members here, like uh, like Windshear. We're gonna meet in a bit. I, I don't, I can't really place them uh, in any kind of. Uh, in when I'm picturing Alpha Flight, I have two very specific groups, and it's it's you know the originals, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's you know like Flex and Radian and Mer- whatever <laughs> whatever uh, the the French girl's name was from the Steven Siegel's run. It's it's those two groups and. Like, all the weird stuff from, like, the beta flights, gamma flights, those all just, like, I never really think of them. <laughs> it just never come to mind for me. But, uh, you know, that all said, I did, the, like, just like you, this is the uh, the best part of the issue. These, uh, yeah, these by two far. scenes, for sure. But before we get to that other scene here, we got to rejoin Sasquatch and the Avengers. Uh, we also have uh, Windshear. Uh, I 
don't know where or when Winshear came from. Um, so he, is he's he... from the Nicieza run. He's okay. only been a member for about seven issues. Okay. And I, I've always enjoyed him because he's in his extra strength, strength Tylenol capsule costume. Yes, like, he, he looks like it's exactly what it looks like. A, it looks like a Tylenol. He like does. He, you, you never really see him again. He has a cool power. He can make like hardened air, which is kind of interesting. Hmm. And he's a mutant. So he actually shows up way later for a moment in an X book. But that, nothing's really ever done with him. Gotcha, gotcha. And then we also have her. Is this her? Yes. The uh, this is the like the female incarnation of Adam Warlock, is it? Yeah, and she got tangled up with the whole consortium Galactus nonsense, but she's about to get written off. Yeah, but is she the same one from? She's not the same one from the Infinity Crusade, is she? Uh, you know what? I I <laughs> I have. I don't even know. I there there have been so many hers and him, right? Which is just the stupidest thing ever. First of it all, is. to call a character her. Yeah. Like I, yeah, I don't. So I have no idea. I think she is. I don't know. I think she's always been the same character. So I do okay. think she's the same character, but I don't even know. Yeah, it's so weird. It's very, very. Weird. It's basically, you know, a female Adam Warlock here. She's got golden yeah. skin, uh, bl- you know, bright blonde hair and stuff here. Now she, uh, she, <laughs> I don't know what the Avengers did because they said the job is done. You know, we're done. We're done. Yeah. It doesn't look any different. No. It looks. Uh, I guess we'll just take their word for it. Um. Now, the heroes all prepare to split, and her says she's going to take a tour of the planet. And Quasar says he'll, you know, he'll he'll go with her anytime she wants, uh, acting kind of like a, a desperate fellow. Mm-hmm. You know, anytime you need a anytime you need a chaperone, uh, call Quasar. <laughs> uh, <laughs> now we jump back to the crossroads where uh, we get another constipated face from a oh, stranger. Yeah. This is perhaps the most painful. Um, he is definitely laboring over something. <laughs> uh, now, he reports that despite the eye's best efforts, he is unable to find Jean-Marie and the other Alphans. Uh, all he's able to do is open, like, a bunch of doorways that they can that they can peer through if they dare. And uh, Vision, <laughs> being the only sound mind in the room, says, uh, hey, you know, if we're opening all these doorways, aren't we maybe running the risk of, like, things coming out of them at us and maybe attacking us? And, like, right before he can even finish the thought, that's exactly what happens. Mm -hmm. We have the monsters from all these different realms popping in. And, and I mean, if, like, if you were looking at, like, clip art for, like, stock monster, (laughs) that's what we get here. I think you're being complimentary. These are the worst. It it looks like the cast of Avenue Q is attacking. (laughs) Like, these are the stupidest looking monsters I've ever, there's literally one. That looks like like Cookie Monster on a bender. Like I can't I, I I can't get over it. They look like rejected Howard the Duck concepts. Like yeah. there's no there's nothing threatening here. This is the epitome of a we don't know what to do in this issue. We don't have enough we story. Need action. Yeah. yeah, let's contrive a battle where there's just no risk at all and there are no stakes. And I mean I it is it is an insult. I mean and I I don't want to turn listeners off because the, the book gets really good again next issue i promise there's a character coming next issue who i love and the energy will be up i promise but this is an insulting issue like and and this is for me where it's epitomized where it's like oh no you know people who the the you know muppet standbys can't defeat <laughs> three of the most powerful people on the planet okay it's, it's almost this almost reminds me of like uh, back around the turn of the century where where eric larson would go like eight months between issues of savage dragon and then he turns in something that is very, very rushed because he wants to get something on the shelves. Yes. It's very scratchy. It's very like the there's there's 
I think we're supposed to think there are millions of monsters here, but like only like four of them are, co- are colored. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's, yeah. It's really, really not good. Yeah. And all it does, like like we said here, it all it does is facilitate two pages of battle. Mm-hmm. And it ends with Vision trapping them in a bubble. That's it. It's like, yeah. what was even the point of this? Give us two more pages of letters, you know? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, there's nothing here. And then, and then while that's all happening, Doctor Strange, he, he's, I mean, is, is breaking down even further. I mean, like, yep. I this t- issue, if you just had visuals, should be called the death of Stephen Strange because he's just <laughs> progressively getting weaker and weaker and sicker sure. and sicker. Though you would never know that from the story or dialogue. And then finally, he's like. Yeah, if I push myself even further and risk my life, I can keep looking through this infinite number of doors. Like, yep. and 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 I yeah, and thank God North Star's mullet steps up and is like, uh, okay, dude, you tried. Like, thank yeah, you. You're we'll good. go. You're good. <laughs> and <laughs> Strange takes them all back to the Sanctum Sanctorum here, where where there's plenty of you know thanks anyways. You know. <laughs> yeah. A lot of kissing their sisters here, but actually, unfortunately, North Star does not get to kiss his sister because she's still missing. Um, Now, North Star and his mullet then head back to the Great White North for Max Memorial Ceremony. And it's weird here. Heather says a few words here, basically saying, you know what? Mac wasn't all that great. Yeah, but he's not much of a superhero. But damn it, he was my superhero. It's really weird. It it, it really is. I mean, yeah, she literally says he lost as many battles as he won. Yes. He made mistakes. Ultimately, he died. And you're like, uh, okay. Like, what, wait, what is, are you memorializing him? Is this his wake? Like, what is happening here? Matt and might he, not be a hero to, in society's eyes. Yeah. It's like he was Canada's hero. Like, you know, I don't – and the other thing, too, is he literally sacrificed his life the last issue yep. to allow Galactus to go eat a planet in place of the populated planet. Yep. So, yeah, kind of heroic. Like, like, feel free to show. I mean, it, I, I feel like his ex-wife is is doing his wake. Like, you know, I, I it's it's almost begrudging. It is, you know, yeah. and, and 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 again, he just had a heroic death in the last issue, mm-hmm. and she just completely undersells it. Yeah, she's like, yeah, Mac, you know, Mac was here, and you know, <laughs> he was pretty gone. cool. I yeah. like this costume. I kind of designed mine to look like his. That's about it. Yeah, that, that's very, the, very that's the extent of her tears. Very, very strange here, and. uh and that is like the entire memorial for mm-hmm. for for James here. Uh, we do end the issue back at Department H where the results of Diamond Lil's biopsy are in, and we do learn that she does not have cancer. And uh, I do want to thank Fabian Niciesa for not doing that dumb joke where they say it's negative and then everybody cries before finding oh, out yeah. that negative is really a good thing in this situation. Yeah, we don't get that here. We do get the doctor saying a bunch of weird stuff, which causes Diamond Lil to cry out. Please say it in English. And he comes out and says, hey, you're good. No cancer. And uh, everybody celebrates. It, and that celebration panel is like the fifth worst panel in the history of comics. I mean, Windshear's arms <laughs> re- reach to the moon. It's I mean, bad. it is. Oh, it's so bad. I, I, mean, I can't believe bad. nobody's memed this yet. Like this would be a great, like, just a, a wonderful, delightful meme. Yeah, it's awful. Yeah. It's and like Sasquatch, you know, the shape of Sasquatch's head is kind of like beasts. You have the points. Mm-hmm. Sasquatch's whole body is shaped like his head. here. Yeah, it's very, very bad here. And, uh, you know, North Star has a few, uh, you know, snippy words to say at the end. But it, it all turns out real, real good. And uh, wow. You know, the funny thing here is, and and I am playing we, – we are playing fast and loose here with this being a legitimate, you know, main X-Men title back in 1991. 
because this was very different than an X-Men book in 1991. And, uh, but the thing of it is, is nowadays, and this is, you know, weird 20, 21st century hindsight here, where if Marvel does something like launch a brand new book, you know, like something as big as X-Men volume two, number one, something that big, usually nowadays it becomes like a line wide thing. Yeah. Where if it's not going to be the entire Marvel uh, output, it's going to be a good portion of it. And you'd figure Alpha Flight might fall under that kind of umbrella. It's a different editor. It is a different editor, but you might figure it might fall under something similar here, or they would want to maybe zhuzh it up a bit so people who are coming in to read X-Men might be like, oh, I remember this being connected to X-Men. I wonder what's going on here. And uh, we don't get that at all. Mm -hmm. We don't get that one bit. Yeah, we don't in this issue. I, I think next issue. Yeah, next issue, and it's and it's a new writer. Next issue. Now, again, I am in no way disparaging Fabian Nicieza. He's he's one of my favorite writers. One of my oh, favorite sure. X writers. Yeah, his X Force run is is my one of my favorite books. And mm-hmm. uh, New Warriors. I mean, yeah, the guy's amazing. He's a legend. Oh yeah. So I'm not in any way disparaging him. But but Scott Lobdell comes on next issue, and that's mm-hmm. when it gets more X like. Because he is, you know, he's one he's of the main the X, X writers. Yeah, he's he's the main guy after Claremont. And so so I do think it gets more X connected, especially with the, the coming of a character next issue. Yeah. Um, sure. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think they took a look and said, hey, look, we've been disconnected from the X books for quite a while, almost like purposely, like we were trying to kind of stamp our own identity. Mm-hmm. But there's this big cash cow over there and we should probably hook our wagon to it. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And it just it just feels like such a and it, this happened with a few of the, you know, the tangential X books that we're that we're looking at on this program where this month it's just this weird like I, I can almost compare it to like the first Alan Moore issue of Swamp Thing where it's kind of just a let's get some stuff out of the way before yeah. we actually start. And uh, and what we get next issue, like with Wolverine, we're going to start up a big story. And, and with this, we're going to start up a big story here. It's it's very weird that that the way it's kind of falls into place here. One question I forgot to ask you, which I'm asking everybody, and it's something that I do want to share uh, on on our socials when we when we do launch this program. I want to know which was your uh, what cover did you get for X-Men Volume 2 Number 1? Uh, <laughs> I like that you used the singular term for that question. <laughs> Uh, my friend, singular, that was pretty presumptuous because I am the proud owner and that, you know, one day I'll sell them and put my daughter through college of every cover of X-Men number one. So yeah, I, I bought them all. You bought them all at the, at the same time? I did. So I, yeah, I did actually. No, I totally did. Now the first one I bought, the one I read was the Magneto one. Okay. Um, so that's, that's when you ask me, if you ask me when I picture X-Men number one, that is actually the one I picture. Gotcha. But no, I bought the whole the whole set. Whole, whole kit and caboodle. Okay. Yep. Now, yeah. what about the what 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 card did you get with X Force number one? Uh, so I again, you're using the singular. <laughs> um, I bought a, a numerous copies of X Force okay. number one, and I opened one, and hmm. I had uh, Cable. Okay. Uh, I've never opened the others. They are still polybagged in my nice. collection. Uh, because that's that's pretty much what all you need to know about me. Like <laughs> I still have polybag copies of X Force One. I, I mean, as if I couldn't go to any discount bin in the country right now and pick ten of them up. Oh, at least. But no, I I have the cable card. I don't even actually know who the other cards are. Like I, is there one that's like more special than others? 
the cable one was the big one back in the day. Oh, it was? That was the biggie. That was the good one. That's the one you wanted. Nowadays, the Deadpool card is probably the one you want. Oh, there you go. Um, there was also a Shatterstar card. Mm-hmm. There was also a team card. Uh, it was on its side. You know, it was an X-Force team card. And then there was the card that I got. Sunspot and friggin' Gideon. Oh. oh. Yeah. Nothing's yeah. better with Gideon. No, no. Gideon uh, sucks. Gideon yeah. is not good. But uh, <laughs> you have any? Uh, we have gone on about this issue, but do you have any final thoughts before we go into the next feature? No, I just you know I want to encourage people who are listening that this is we're 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 leading into a really nice little run of Alpha Flight. This was just the dying ember of a not very good run, <laughs> um, and it was you know and it was the creative team clearing the decks you know for, sure. for the incoming new writer. So uh, no man, I'm excited. I'm excited to hear the other segments of the of the episode and and awesome. you know. Yeah, it's, it'll be fun. I think it's always fun to get a, a wider picture of a of a, pu- a period in time, you know, a moment in time. Sure. And and I, I in my head, I didn't realize how late in its run Alpha Flight was mm-hmm. compared to how early the the second generation of Xbox were. So that's oh, yeah. kind of cool. Yeah, I'm curious to see to line those up in my head. Oh yeah, this was a veteran title at the at, at this point. It's a uh, it, it uh, yeah triple digits yeah, which books don't get to these days. <laughs> oh no no not at all. It would have been rebooted fifteen times by then. Oh boy, absolutely. But uh, one more thing we wanted to discuss before uh, before we go to the next segment here is uh, if you are a fan of Marvel comics from the early nineties, uh, maybe just one year in the nineties. It feels like these things appeared forever, but I'm sure they only appeared for like a year. There was something in the bullpen bulletins called the Coolometer. <laughs> now the coolometer is uh basically the bullpen judging what's cool and what's uncool and i thought it would be fun to go through that and uh get your thoughts on what the marvel bullpen thought was cool and what the marvel bullpen thought was uncool uh now the coolest thing in august was a movie i've never seen and that is, uh, and if, if if people have listened to anything that I've talked about on on the air or read a blog post that I've written, you know I don't see movies, so that won't be a surprise. Terminator 2: Judgment Day. Oh man, you're missing out. That that they they nail. I mean, look, obviously the ultimate arbiters of what is cool are middle-aged men making comics in the 90s. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. But they got this one right. I that movie was like life-altering. I remember my buddies and I went to the theater to see it. The line, uh, there's a mall out in Arizona called Fashion Square, and it was really new back then. And they, mm-hmm. had, they had the nicest theater in town. And so we went there, and the line was all the way like up a floor and around a second story. Oh, wow. And we got in line, and we waited. And we were teenagers, and, and there was nothing worse than you're a teenager than going to a movie by yourself. Like that seemed like the weirdest, sure. loserest thing ever, even though now <laughs> it is my nirvana. Like it is the greatest <laughs> treat I can give myself. But, you know, there's nothing worse than that. And we actually got in. We were the last of a group of people who could get in. And we had to sit in separate seats. And we said yes and did it because we were so excited to see this movie. And we never regretted it because it is an amazing film. Very cool. Very cool. Now, the second coolest thing, just being edged out by the Terminator, is uh, James Brown. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I uh, Was he in prison at this point? I, 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 I think I, so. I want to yeah. think he was because I – I always think of uh, that episode of Married with Children where uh, where Al's going to go to jail and Steve, his next door neighbor, says, if you see James Brown in there, let him know there's there's, there's one white guy who believes in him or something <laughs> like that. Um, I think that was around this time. I do, too. <laughs> now, the next coolest thing is uh, our Jeeps. Sure. 
Yeah, I, I, my uncle had a Jeep that got stolen. So that's that's my that's all I remember. Yeah, I, I have no association other than I had a friend who flipped one, so I've never owned one. <laughs> there you go. Uh, next, The Adventures of Captain America. Is that a film? No, it was a miniseries that um, the TV the, thing with the motorcycle. No, wasn't it a uh, okay? Hold on, I was I was really confident about this, and now I'm not. Wasn't it the miniseries where Kevin McGuire was on art? Um, for like three issues, and they were all excited because they basically stolen McGuire from JLI. Really? Okay. Uh, oh yeah, no, I'm totally right about this. Okay, oh, very I was right cool. about this. Yeah, so it is. It was a mini series that Marvel did, and they were really excited because it was basically ah, like yes, yes. Yeah, Missy Aza wrote it, and then Kevin McGuire did the first three issues of art, and then was too slow and sure. couldn't uh, couldn't finish it. But it. Uh, yeah, they were really excited. I, I think for them it was a really big deal to have poached McGuire from DC, even I, though I think this is the extent of his output for them. At this point, yeah, because I know he did uh, do – he did a Defenders run uh, later on with Giffen. Oh, years uh, later, yeah. Way, way, way later, yeah. And he, he also did the Fantastic Four Gen 13 crossover many years later. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, it, was, it, it looked pretty cool. Uh, next on our list are Billiards. I used to like to play pool when I was a kid. Sure. I'd probably still like it now if I didn't have to deal with people, other people playing pool. Um, <laughs> next up, Kim Basinger. I don't know what she might have been doing then. I think she was just Kim Basinger back then. I, she I think was, that's all she needed yeah. to do. Hot yeah. with a little extra hot added. <laughs> there you go. Next, Mondo Marvel the talk show. I, I have no idea what this is. Yeah, I have no idea either. My, my, mighty Mondo Marvel talk show. Um, see here. Uh, what was the Mondo talk show? I guess there there was something. Um, yeah, uh, we'll have to look at that later. Uh, maybe we'll link to that in the show notes or something. Yeah. Um, next, uh, bagels, which come a little too low on the list for me. I oh yeah, those are much cooler. Um, been a very long time since I've had a good one. Uh, global warming is cool, according <laughs> to the folks at Marvel, which <laughs> maybe they were maybe it, were, it was chilly in August. I guess uh, this so. Yeah. Particular year. Um, next up, Robin Hood. I don't know if this is Prince of Thieves or just maybe the Fox version. I don't know. No, I think this is Prince of Thieves. This, Almost this has is, to be. Huh? Yeah, this is that era, which uh, I'm going to alienate some of your audience is one of the most overrated movies of all time. Like that was not a good movie. I don't remember it. I know that is one that I actually saw, but I don't mm-hmm. remember it. I remember a lot of bad accents. Maybe. Yes. Yes. And, and it looked like uh, Kevin Costner was wearing a wig. Yeah, it was pretty awful. OK. OK. Then we all thinking of the same thing. Uh, next up, a, a show I've never watched. Star Trek oh. Next Generation. Oh, that hurts my soul. I love The Next Generation. In fact, I was angry that it was so low on the list. It is a it's <laughs> season two on. It's one of the great shows of all time. I've never watched a single episode of uh, any Star Trek ever. And uh, it's nothing to be proud of, but it's just the way it is. Uh, next up, Laser Karaoke or Laser Karoke is the way they spelled it. But I'm guessing <laughs> they, they're talking about karaoke. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. Have you ever done karaoke? I've done karaoke. I have no idea what laser karaoke is. Is it like, do they, they kill you if you're bad? I mean, like, do they fire lasers at you? Like, I mean, that would improve it. You know, that would actually be a fun thing to do. If you're wearing like one of those laser tag things Uh on your chest and you suck really bad and people just shoot you and you get shot three (laughs) times and you're done singing. It'd be awesome. You get gonged. That would actually be karaoke way better. 
Laser gong, for sure. <laughs> Next, another thing that is way low on the list for me, polo shirts. Mm-hmm. I only wear polo shirts. That's all I wear. I, I, that's my casual attire, polo shirts. Um, flossing is next. Oh, I, I'm assuming. Oh, which is so weird. Like floss your damn teeth. Like, <laughs> you know, uh, come on, marble. I'm guessing that they, they have to be talking about the dental thing and not the stupid dance, right? Yeah, the, the dance is too recent. That's only that's the last kind of, like four or five years. No, yeah. they just mean flossing. Yeah, well, and that's at, that's at the midpoint of cool. So it's somewhere yeah. between cool and uncool in the middle. Uh, we got bungee jumping which was huge back then. Yeah, in fact, I partook uh, at really? spring, yep, spring Break, uh, Lake Havasu. Okay. Uh, I, I bungee, jumped, Bridge? Jumped, bungee jumped into Lake Havasu, yeah, and, and uh, I do not recommend it. <laughs> it, was, it was not fun. It was like early 90s. It seemed like every TV show would yep. have a bungee jumping episode. And yeah. uh, I... I me and the wife will uh, will you know this is being filmed or this is being filmed recorded uh, during a quarantine so we've been watching a lot of television and uh, <laughs> we uh, we've been rewatching Melrose Place oh and yes, uh, classic yes I love that show and uh, Billy wants to live life and decides he wants to bungee jump but then chickens out before he does so yeah yeah I I fell prey to all of it all of the weird societal pressure I went with three <laughs> I went with three really good friends. I was first in line. We were all going to do it. I did it. And then they all chickened out. So yeah, they suck. Yeah. <laughs> now, yeah. as we move closer to the uncool side here, you know what really sucks? The metric system. Yeah. The metric system is uncool, <laughs> according to uh, probably Howard Mackey, Ralph Macchio, yeah. Len Comiskey, and Terry Cavanaugh. <laughs> inches or nothing is what they say do you do you i think we're around the same age do you remember like the first few years of school them teaching you both oh yeah okay. and, and by the way that still happens i mean i does I, it yeah I, I was i i'm not so i mean i'm a teacher i'm not so far removed from mm. my classroom days where you know when i was teaching sixth grade my science teacher counterpart was teaching the metric system so yeah it still happens Wow, because I remember like growing up uh, in New York, like first and second grade, we did a metric system, and then after that, never again. Oh no, no, they still, yeah, still totally do it. Oh wow, how about that? Uh, the next uncool thing is Andrew Dice Clay. I'm good with that. Yeah. Oh. I mean, <laughs> look, look, I will. I'm not gonna lie. If Ford Fairlane is on TV, I'm probably in. But yeah, I'm okay with him being down on the list. You don't like Little Miss Muffet? What you happen to? <laughs> I remember that was like the I remember kids coming in like with like cassette tapes that they oh, yeah. off of like HBO. Like they'd yep. hold like the machine up to the TV and they would just get the segment of him doing the nursery rhymes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I had the exact same experience. Oh, yeah, and they'd, they'd bring that to school and it would be that and like a jerky boys tape. And that would mm-hmm. be we'd be good for for recess. And that was <laughs> um, next TV talk shows. I'm good with that too. Yeah. But this was this height of Maury Povich and Sally Jesse Raphael exactly. and all those trash TV uh, shows. Yeah, Jenny Jones and uh, Ricky Lake. Yeah, mm-hmm. the only time I liked talk shows was on Talk Soup early on. Yeah, that was me the only too. time I kind of dug it. Um, next up, Yuppies. Yeah, I'm still good with that being low. That's good. Yeah, I, I, I have think, a problem with the next one, but this one, this one, I'm good with still. I, I think if I if I were around in a different era, people might call me a yuppie because of my polo shirts. Um, now next is Hudson Hawk, which I'm assuming is a film. Yeah. Yeah. This I'm, I am legitimately angry about this. (laughs) Like, like I, when you were like, Hey, you want to cover this with me? I was like, yeah. And I looked at it and I was like, what? I mean, I I was like, 
oh, I'm going to write Terry Cavanaugh a letter. <laughs> Hudson Hawk is a Bruce Willis, Danny Aiello film. Uh, it is a bat bleep crazy movie, total Bruce Willis indulgence, him being his, the, you know, his fun loving harmonica playing, fedora wearing, most sort of 90s peak Willis. And, and at the time, people were really turned off by it. Because it's really tongue-in-cheek. I mean, okay. hardcore tongue-in-cheek. But it is a movie that has aged well, and I would defy people to go back and watch it because it's really good. Yeah, I, I don't know that I – I know there was a video game I played of it, and it was awful. But, no, I don't remember that. No, the movie was good. Maybe, maybe they're talking about the video game. I don't know. No, they're talking about the movie. It got, <laughs> no, when it came out, people wanted, you know, Die Hard 4 or whatever. They mm-hmm. wanted Bruce Willis to be something he wasn't in this movie. And gotcha. this was this was moonlighting Bruce Willis. This was – Oh, so silly. Yeah, this was – I mean, honestly, this was him literally stepping off the set of moonlighting. You know, uh, you know, he's done a bunch of other films, and he's kind of on an action star track. And him going, hey, I want to show people I'm funny again, and no one wanted to see it. But it's really wow. good. <laughs> Uh, next on our list are skateboards. Nah, I mean, I, this, I've never skateboarded. I have, and I think it was still pretty popular at this point. I mean, it was probably waning, but Tony Hawk was still a big deal. Oh, this, yeah, this is. I, I thought that skateboarding was like always cool. I, I mean, then again, I'm I, I'm not, you know, in my fifties and a in a comic book creator, so <laughs> I suppose mileage may vary. Uh, next thing that's uncool is uh, political correctness. And, hey, uh, I didn't. Yeah, I don't even know what that meant in 1991. I was going to say they had no idea where we were headed. Yeah, they had no idea. Yeah, because, so, I, I mean, that that was kid gloves back then. Um, <laughs> next up, record albums. Oh, if they only knew that vinyl would one day be the... the come back. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, in a big way. Yeah, I, I, don't ha- I don't have a machine that would play them, and I... I think my the extent of my record album collection is like a stack of uh, like Billy Joel stuff that uh, that the wife got me, but that's about it. Uh, they they take up a lot of room. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't have a I never went back into the whole vinyl craze, but I think it's cool when people do. Like, all oh right. sure, yeah. sure. Uh, next up, uh, day glow clothes. Those are back too, <laughs> right? And I thought they were really like a big deal, like hype. Is day glow? What is day glow anyway? Is that just like fluorescent like, colors or? Yeah, like highlighter yellow or sure. you know, those Hot kind pink. of things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And and that stuff I remember. So <laughs> I remember I, I was teaching juniors one year, mm-hmm. and one of my kids, really popular kid, you know, athletic, good looking, kind of you know a little bit of a trendsetter kid on campus, he comes in in like salmon pink jeans. Oh, wow. And I go, no. I go, no. And he goes, what? And I go, those can't be back. And he goes, Mr. Ross, <laughs> these are like the hottest jeans ever. I go, no, no, I get it. I get for you. You <laughs> look really good. I go, I'm having, like, like this is my Vietnam. Like, I can't handle, <laughs> I can't handle this being back. And he and the kids couldn't understand it. It was hilarious. <laughs> Man, I, 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 I'm not around people, so <laughs> I don't know anything <laughs> about anything. They keep me away from people. Uh, the next one is a little bit prescient. Um, yeah. The Cosby Show. Yeah, they called that. They sure did. Uh, d- do you have any fond memories of The Cosby Show? Uh, taking I, things out of it? Yeah, I. so I'll tell you. I, you know, obviously Bill Cosby is a, a piece of human garbage and yeah. doesn't deserve any recognition. So I'm not in any way even just – I'm not like even addressing that. I very, very, very much lament the loss of the a loss, program yeah. that – had a very healthy and and like affluent African-American family and presented a side of America we just don't get to see very often. 
And I, it sucks that we lost that cultural touchstone. Sure. Um, but no, I mean, yeah, I don't, I, by this point in the Cosby show, I think these are the years where like, you know, Rudy's like 15 and, and the yeah, show's just they, off the rails. Yeah. And they brought in different kids and then they brought in yeah. that other girl. Yeah. It was very, very strange. Um, I, I, I don't know. They left one mystery for us though. I never found out what jamming on the one means. <laughs> I don't think anybody knows. I think it's yeah. just lost. It's lost to the eighties. <laughs> my, my wife asked me that. She said, what does jamming on the one mean? And I said, I think we, that's best left to the theologians. <laughs> Because it was Theo who said it. Um, nice. Very nice. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm right there with you. Um, one of the weird things about the Cosby show is that I realized that they never had a Christmas episode. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, my they God. They never had a Christmas episode. It really uh, freaked me out. It was akin to uh, – I don't re- I don't know if you remember uh, Charles and Charge. Oh, yeah. I remember the last episode of that. Uh, someone told him that he didn't have a last name, and he freaked out. And I'm like, no way. He has to have a last name. And then you realize this whole show, Charles never had a last name. Okay, that yeah, that is weird. Isn't it? And yeah. Then, <laughs> that is so like, really weird. It's very strange. Yeah, because I guess like the whole thing was like a dream or something. I don't know. But uh, yeah, so Charles didn't have a last name. The Cosbys didn't have Christmas. So <laughs> um, now at the, we're, we're, we're down to the bottom two here. And uh, you do remember global warming is cool. Right. Mm-hmm. Global warming is pretty cool. Nuclear winter is bad. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> OK. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm not arguing with them. Nuclear winter would be awful. You know, <laughs> you and I are old enough to remember growing up in the Cold War. You yes. know, and, and so, yeah, nuclear winter, not good. But I'm I'm ang- again, legitimately angry about the last one. Yes, this is weird. The uncoolest thing, according to uh, who we got here, um, I'm, we had a uh, Chris Elliott. Chris Eliopoulos, he was doing stuff back in the early 90s. Okay. Um, I'm, we're going to say uh, Tom DeFalco is probably re- responsible for all this mm-hmm. here. The uncoolest thing in the world to Tom DeFalco and company is McLean Stevenson. Yeah, uh, Henry from Henry Nash. Blake. Yeah. yeah, Henry Blake. I, I don't understand this. I, there must be a there must be some sort of culture thing at this moment. One must be. He hasn't been Henry Blake in over ten years at this point, right? Yeah, I mean, Mash has been off the air for at least eight years at this point, and he wasn't in the last seven seasons Half of, of that show. Yeah, that's most of it. Yeah. Yeah. So he he hasn't been in the social consciousness for a while. I mean, he's been on the Love Boat, maybe at Fantasy Island, maybe he's guest he starred on the. I think he guest starred on like the Golden Girls a couple of times. Yeah, I mean, but and the Glad Bag commercials. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, what a weird shot to take. Very. One. Screw them. Henry Blake is one of the great characters in TV history, and I love McLean Stevenson. I love that. Sure. I love Henry Blake. In fact, I prefer the Henry Blake episodes to. Oh, the, the show goes Potter downhill thing. after he leaves. Yeah. Yeah, I totally prefer the Henry Blake episodes, but I, I just I don't know. I don't know what was there. Must have been something that popped up into the cultural zeitgeist, but it's a weird shot to take. Like it would be like us <laughs> doing a coolometer right now and taking a shot at like Brian Bosworth or like something or some weird like <laughs> so I don't know, which you know. Cold Stir, Stone Cold was a decent movie, but like it would be a weird, you know, shot to take. I don't know where it yeah. came from, but yeah, very, very strange stuff here. And and and, and of course, we would we would have to keep uh, global warming cool, right? That, oh that's, yeah, that's 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 just timeless. It's evergreen. Yeah, thankfully we're still living with it. Thankfully it wasn't lost to time. <laughs> <laughs> what a nuts thing! And I and I'm hoping to do these until they run out. I I don't know how many they're gonna have. Uh, I do remember. It feels like every time I picked up a comic growing up, there was one of these coolometers in it, but I don't think they lasted more than like a year. So uh, 
we'll play it by ear and we will uh, we will let everybody know what is cool and what is uncool and uh, so you can all change your lives mm-hmm. and uh, you know uh, buy a James Brown record in a Jeep. Well, you know, not that's not bad. Yeah, James Brown record in a Jeep. That's cool. And, and I then think so. And trash some old math a- mash actors and yeah, <laughs> and uh, and and burn your day glow clothes and there you uh, go. and break your skateboard. <laughs> It'll be all <laughs> good. Uh, but that will about do it for the Alpha Flight feature here. And uh, before we go, uh, you want to plug yourself. Sure. Wow. <laughs> I, I guess I did a really bad job in this episode. If you plug myself. So, uh, so thanks again for having me on. And, and you know, this oh, is just the first of many. Absolutely. But, um, so yeah, I, I'm Sean. I'm from the Pulp to Pixel Podcast Network, and you can find us at pulptopixel.com. Uh, we have some great shows. We I host us co-host a Secret Wars and Beyond show where we cover every episode of every Secret Wars miniseries from Marvel. We covered the beautiful gem that is Volume One that everybody loves because they read it when they were ten. We covered the not-as-beautiful gem that is Volume 2, where Spider-Man teaches the Beyonder how to poop. Yes. Uh, the shows or the episodes are fun, even if the comic is trash. We are now actually – we've just covered the first issue of Secret Wars Volume 3 by Jonathan Hickman and Isad Ribic, which I actually think is the greatest crossover in Marvel history. So we're back <gasps> in – oh, I know. I knew you didn't agree. I was waiting. Ooh, um, oh, sorry. Oh, something got I love Secret Wars 3. So I encourage people to check out the show. <laughs> and then we also have some other great shows. We have a What If cast where – uh, guests come on and we talk about their favorite issues of what if, and we have a welcome to Astro city where we talk about Kurt Busick's Astro city. So just a, a fun network. And uh, yeah, if you like this episode, please check it out. Absolutely. And we will link to uh, Sean's show. Everybody shows uh, that are on this program. Everybody will be linked in the show notes and all that good stuff. But uh, I do want to thank you so, so much for bearing with me through all the delays for putting this show <laughs> together. Um, and it means the world to me that you stuck around because this was a really good time and I look forward to many, many more. No, this is great, man. I appreciate I appreciate you having me on. And yeah, you reached out so long ago, we actually could have done this in person, which is now an impossibility. <laughs> yes, we're not allowed to do that anymore. But uh, maybe one day, maybe there one you go. day. <laughs> we will meet at a central location and uh, and get a, some alpha flight in. But uh, once again, thank you so, so much. And uh, I will now send us to uh, well, whatever next segment I, I, I put in here. So uh, that's that. New place to run, new place to run. 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 Has now begun.